you know, one of the things that my dad always made really clear to me was like, look, like what makes America special is that you can clean a building and you could have your name on the side of it, you know? And it's not that one is lesser than the other. It's the fact that you had opportunity to be both. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. This is episode number 211 here on the Decoding Success Podcast. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, and you just heard from our guest, a self-made power woman, Nicole Walters, who is joining the show in just a little bit. I need to keep it real with you. That is exactly what Nicole's doing on this episode here today. In fact, she's keeping it real with me too, because I don't have everything in the world figured out. Nicole's keeping it real. Her experience is unmatched. She has been there. She has done that. She is bringing some fire to this episode. Pen and pad is a must. If you're not old school like me, take out the phone, take out the digital notebook, whatever you gotta do. Nicole is bringing it. She is a self-made power woman, as I mentioned, who became nationally known when she quit her decade-long job as an executive for a Fortune 500 company live online. I'll repeat that. She quit her job live online, and even though her bank account was growing exponentially, she felt unfulfilled and bankrupt of the joy and freedom she desired. Not only desired, but deserved. With a well-thought-out plan, a strong belief in her God-given talents, and a deep desire to be her own boss, Nicole left that job, and within six Six months of taking the leap of faith had successfully converted her part-time side hustle into a full-time business. Since then, she has built a multi-million dollar personal development and business education empire by using what she learned in the corporate world and sharing that knowledge with everyday people. Her mission is to inspire people to live life better and to create that lasting legacy that they will be proud of. Nicole is teaching us exactly how to do that today. And on top of that, we're diving into very vulnerable shares of her story that include her family, her children, her relationship, her business, her past experiences in corporate America and beyond. A lot, a lot, a lot to dive into today. Really excited to have you here again, tuned into the Decoding Success Podcast, episode number 211. Without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Nicole Walters. Nicole, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. I absolutely love your journey. I Honestly, I'm blown away by it, like what you've been able to accomplish, what you continue to accomplish nonetheless is absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to make an impact here on Decoding Success. Oh, no worries. It's my joy. Thanks so much for having me. You're too kind. Of course, of course. Now, seriously, first question, I need to dive into the absolute beginning of your journey, because I think talking to individuals that either are immigrants or of an immigrant background is absolutely incredible. We've had so many phenomenal individuals on this show, over 200, by the way, and many of them come from that type of background. So I want to start there. I know that your upbringing was quote unquote, and forgive me if I'm not quoting this perfectly, but short of money in a sense, right? And your dad was an absolute hustler. So I'm curious, first and foremost, what did you learn from your father's work ethic as an immigrant? Yeah. I mean, you put it kindly, like, no, we were poor. We were like, Poe, we couldn't afford the O and R. Like we had no (laughs) money. Okay, Matt, it was a situation, but you know, 
what was great was what you kind of called out is as immigrants, you know, knowing that we're coming in and oftentimes starting at sort of the bottom of the barrel when it comes to, you know, net worth in a new country, uh, that work ethic is required. And that was absolutely my dad. He was a cab driver for 40 years. And my mom was a secretary at a boating insurance company. So a lot of my early moments, I think that, you know, is shared, especially with the 200 guests you had, that you'll probably hear echoed is that we spent a lot of our time watching our parents work, you know, because they couldn't afford childcare and they needed to have a side by side. And that was just the opportunity and that formed who we were. So it formed not just our awareness of what the struggle looks like and what we don't want, but also what it looks like to put an hour after hour behind a dream that really means something to you. Now, I'm curious, in your life, obviously seeing, you know, people around us, people so close to us hustle like that. I'm curious in your life, how did you not take it over the edge? Meaning, how did you not force yourself to just hustle, hustle, hustle and make sure that you're taking a meaningful pause? Oh, Matt, I do. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> if anything, I wish I wish someone would come on this podcast and tell the whole thing of, no, 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 I'm in perfect balance and everything's right. No, I'm a hot mess. You know, and I think it's important that, you know, everybody acknowledges that we're constantly trying to, you know, find that balance. You go too much one way, you got to know when to scale it back. You go mm. a little hard, you recognize, hey, this is a season behind a specific product or a launch or an opportunity, but then I got to have a wellness plan on the back end to scale it back, you know? I mean, that's just literally the nature of entrepreneurship is constantly figuring out which balls that you're juggling are made of rubber and which ones are made of glass. The rubber ones mm -hmm. will bounce back and the glass ones will shatter. So, you know, once you will always drop a ball, but you're just focusing on trying to figure out which one you don't want to drop. <laughs> right. <laughs> now in your upbringing, I know that you had mentioned you were around individuals that had a different lifestyle, right? You had people in your, you know, in your proximity that were having lunches prepped by butlers, so on and so yeah. forth. But what I found most interesting was the fact that you used that comparison as fuel for your fire and you didn't use it in a victim mentality. So I'm yeah. curious at such a young age, what was it that clicked for you like that? Yeah. So one of the things that I always talk about is with my dad driving around, you know, downtown DC, because he was a cab driver in DC, we would see these incredibly, I mean, DC is like other level wealth. It's like New York, right? You go into cities and people who are wealthy, like in around America, people who are wealthy are usually like business owners and things like that. But you go into like New York or DC and it's like just straight power. It's like a different type of money, you know, and driving around, you know, one of the things that my dad always made really clear to me was like, look, like what makes America special is that you can clean a building and you could have your name on the side of it, you know, and it's not that one is lesser than the other. It's the fact that you have opportunity to be both, you know, and that, or you can start in one and grow to the other, if that's what you desire. So I think that I was always raised with a mentality that when I saw someone else's success, I never saw it as something that I needed to focus on dismantling how they got it. And in a negative way, like, oh, well, they only got it because they're this, or I would never have that opportunity because I couldn't do this or their success isn't really really success because this, this, and this factor, you know, there's a, we all know that person who looks at somebody else's wins and sees it that way. You can choose to be like that, or you can choose to look at them and say, if they did it, I can do it too. And that was, that's where I choose to stand. You know, if they did it, I can do it too. And all I have to do is figure out what was their recipe and how do I need to adapt it for myself? And then I need to apply it, do the work, be consistent and not quit. And I can have anything I want. Absolutely. Now, I think that ties into a quote I believe I saw on your website. It was either on your website or social where it was something along the lines of like, if you don't chase opportunity, no one's going to chase it for you. Yep. Now, was that directly from your father? 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay. And I believe he said it something like this. You know, you need to understand. We will not, never, ever, ever will anyone chase something for you. You have to pick <laughs> up your own bags. You have to put on your own shoes and you need to run for it yourself. But, you know, <laughs> it fit into Twitter with less characters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now, listen, I'm guilty of this myself, right? And I I know there are other people that tune into the show that are guilty of it. There's, and I'm a millennial, so maybe it's just, maybe I'm stereotyping us here, but like, there is a little bit of a sense of entitlement, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so what's your advice to maybe drop that entitlement? Sure. You know? I think that the entitlement part where it gets mislabeled is it's true. Millennials do have some degree of an entitlement there, but every generation does, you know? So if you look at generations before us, their entitlement really stood around. We feel entitled to having our house with the white picket fence, our 2.5 kids, our pension, our retirement fund. Like that's what they anticipated and expected that their work would, would, earn them that that was an entitlement and the same thing applies with us i think our generation feels entitled to live and design a life that is fruitful meaningful and hopefully financially rewarding you know and we aren't willing to necessarily compromise one thing in order to get the other so you know yes we would like to also have a house and not live with our parents until we're 35 but we also only want to get those things as long as we're able to have a job that doesn't feel like it's trying to murder us every day you know so i mean (laughs) you know it's crazy because you know previous generations may not have thought the way like my dad, you know, where he's like, look, like just work really hard. It doesn't matter what it is because it's just work, you know, where we also feel entitled to have happiness and peace and joy. And so, yes, it's still an entitlement, but no, I don't think it's an unhealthy thing. I think it's a positive development that we hopefully pass on to future generations because our joy matters. Absolutely. And that actually happened in your life. Like you were crushing it in corporate, like And I'm going to be polite here. I'll just say crushing it. I won't put an expletive before that, but I know that's what you were doing. But you had the courage to leave because it wasn't necessarily lighting up your soul or whatever. Where did that courage come from? Well, I think it came from the fact that honestly, I just call it math, right? I looked at it and I said, I've given this company 10 years of my life. Can't I give myself one? If I just give myself one year and it doesn't work, then at least I can go back to this corporate thing and then just do that. You know what I mean? And be all in and not hear that nagging and not hear that what if thing and not hearing that, you know, like I'm just going to go hard for myself the way that I've gone hard for everyone else. And it's worked for them. What would happen if I tried it for me? So I'm going to be completely honest. It's so easy to be like, oh yeah, you know, quit your job and just, you know, and don't be scared and do it afraid and like all those things. And yeah, those things are true. But the truth of the matter is mathematically, if you can do it for someone else for a decade, you can definitely do it for yourself for a year. And if it doesn't work, guess what? There's tons of corporate jobs and you obviously already know how to get them. So you can always absolutely. I love that. I, I love that. Now, just out of curiosity, because I did it the absolute dumb way and I call <laughs> myself out it. I like, listen, I mean, I did it so dumb. I was working for one of the sharks on Shark Tank. Sure. Ego got ego got a hold of me and I just quit. I was like, you know yeah. what? I'm done. Yeah. Um, completely dumb move. Just like whatever. I, I throw myself. No, the it's amazing that you can own it, though, because that means that you got everything you needed out of that moment. And it wasn't dumb at all, you know, because it's a lesson learned. And I think sure. that's what's critical is oftentimes we'll do those things where we'll just blow. Because I mean, I've, I hire millennials. I hire younger millennials, you know, within my company and, and I hire Gen Z. And I've had moments like that where they'll quit. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself. This, this for this moment is not the brightest move because if you just even stayed, if you'd been patient enough to stay still for two more years and tamp down your ego, you different things would have happened for you. But 
the lesson that you learned right now needed to be learned. And if this is where you learned it, I'm glad you have it now. Do you know what I mean? Because that's absolutely down the line. So uh, dumb move in the moment, right move in the long run. Absolutely. Listen, hundred percent part of God's plan, but I'm curious, what was aligned for you to actually make that move? Like I, I had people sure. on the show who said, you know, you need two years of salary saved one for emergency, one for spending so on and so forth. What was it like for you? So I want to keep it a little bit more simple than that, because I think, you know, the pandemic has shown that that math doesn't make as much sense anymore. That math ain't right. math in, you know, where, <laughs> oh yeah, how'd, you, how'd that two months work out for you during a one year pandemic, you know? So one of the things that I try to um, tell people is just make sure you can be a good boss to yourself. So a lot of people quit their jobs because they're fixated on what they think their current boss doesn't do for them or what they think they do better than their current boss or what they, the gaps that they think exist and what they deserve within the role, whether it's like respect or money or attention or whatever. And all I say is wherever you go after that, just make sure you can provide those things either for yourself or that other thing will have it for you or you're okay not having it because either way that should, that should be the difference. So for me, I didn't want to quit my job. I wanted to hire myself. So I, one of the things I'm most proud of is I have always paid myself a proper salary and living wage. Every, I've never missed a check to myself. I've always been on time. I have benefits and all the things I afford my, you know, 20 plus employees. Now I afford to myself 401k benefit healthcare. So I, I didn't want to work for a crappy boss. The worst thing about my boss now, which is me is, you know, just vacation time and my hours, you know, but, but it's okay though. Cause I got that for my last boss too, for less money. So like, I'm willing to tolerate it. And my, my new boss looks good. So I, I cut her some slack, but, <laughs> but all that to be said, you know, I think anyone out there who's thinking of quitting just make sure you're ready to hire yourself what what's stopping you from taking that break right now um oh well so i've i've shifted gears, if you will, you know, so I am taking more of a break, meaning I've adjusted things in my life to, I've implemented the structure of my team a little bit differently. I've split up areas of my company. And so I am spending more time in areas of the business that I want to be in more, which feels like a break because it's less stressors in stuff that I don't want to do. But yeah, no, I think what I'm aiming for is to get to the place where it's like, no, I'm taking off two months and no one talked to me, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm just, I'm just not there yet, frankly, like, like financially, like I make great money, multimillionaire, doing well, but I'm just not at the place where I think I could take off two months and not do anything. And I'm hoping that I get there soon, but I'm doing the steps to get there. And I've grown so much from where I started. So it's all worth Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, do you actually feel like you would actually want to take off those two months? You, you don't strike me as that type of person. Yeah. So everyone always says as an entrepreneur, so two months of not working looks like two months of like different working, right? So <laughs> it might be, you know, like right now I just signed a book deal with um, a major book deal with Simon and Schuster's new imprint element. Thank you. And so, you know, I've had to shift things in the business to make space for this new project that I'm trying on, you know? So, so I think it would look probably something like that, where it's like two months off might mean I'm not hitting a stage. I'm not in front of a camera. I'm mm. not, you know, recording a podcast or anything like that. But during those two months, maybe I'm just spending more time doing charity work, or maybe I'm volunteering at a local school, you know, to teach entrepreneurship, or I spend a lot of time doing uh, work with inmates on entrepreneurship, you know, just spending more time in those type of endeavors that are still meaningful, fulfilling, and some would consider work. But for me, it's just joy. Absolutely. Now, as you were transitioning out of corporate and into a full-time entrepreneurship role, I know that you had, well, first and foremost, 
you have way more than one hat on, right? Like you, (laughs) you have a family, you have a husband. Um, But at that time, I believe I read something along the lines of a health scare to your husband. Obviously you have children, you have, you have money to make so on and so forth. How did you stay present throughout all of that? Because we can get so far ahead of ourselves and just like totally overwhelm ourselves. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I didn't, you know, I think that I kind of disassociated and plowed through It's So easy for people to lie and be like, Oh, I did this, this, and this. And like, no, like I'm human, like anyone else, you know, I think that I dove into my work, you know, I didn't, I compartmentalized, you know, and I put a lot of feelings on the shelf, you know, cause I just wasn't ready to deal with them in the moment. And I spent a lot of my time just trying to be everybody's everything and not enough for myself. And uh, what happened was that caught up with me a couple of years later. Like I'm a huge advocate of therapy. You know, if you're going to serve other people, you need to make sure you're in a place to be able to do that responsibly. And it's a huge privilege to have a platform. So if you're not therapeutically working on your own trauma or your own places that you speak from, um, how are you going to serve those people effectively? So I spent a lot of time in therapy, you know, just making sure I unpacked sort of once I was through the season, you know, how did I cope and why did I cope that way? How did that impact my decision-making and what would I like to change to be more in control of later? And what would I like to let go? So, you know, staying present wasn't a thing. It was, it was more compartmentalizing to handle the moment in front of me. And then in the aftermath, unpacking kind of the consequence of that decision-making and developing better habits so that should something like that happen again, I know how to balance a little bit better while things are happening. I love that. And I really appreciate the vulnerability as well. We talk about that rather often here, especially when it comes down to men who like totally avoid therapy and opening Mm -hmm. up and Mm -hmm. acting like we don't have any emotions whatsoever. So definitely appreciate that. Now, One thing that I absolutely love that you're doing, and I I didn't even know about the book, so I'm really excited for that. (laughs) I'm super excited for that. You're helping people get paid based off of their God-given talents. Yeah. What does that blueprint look like? I can make the assumption here, and I already wrote down a few things, but I'm like, all right, let me ask before I start to assume. Yeah, yeah, no. So, I mean, the first part of it is just corporate foundations. So a lot of people feel like they, one, don't really have any gifts that can be monetized. Odds are you're already doing something every single day for free that you can monetize and get paid for. So whether it's helping people with baby showers on the side or setting up at the farmer's market or giving excellent advice on people's web design or whatever, there are things that you're known for that people come to you for that probably could be monetized and packaged. Now, the gap that I stand in that is really sort of my differentiator and what I've been known for is that I'm a big believer in corporate foundations, but applying those foundations, but without giving up the integrity of who you are and your values, which is why most of us leave corporate, right? You know, it's like, because right. like, everybody loves, you know, paid time off and a benefit <laughs> and a, a regular paycheck, you know, these corporate things are good. You know, that we like not going to jail. We like knowing that the taxes are covered. Like we all like that in entrepreneurship. Unfortunately, so many people leave that behind because they, they associate not having that structure with the sort of freedom of being able to run their business the way they want. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of consultants or coaches or business, you know, mentors are showing people how to make a dollar, but they're not showing them how to keep it. So I do both, you know, I'm making sure people understand that no matter where you're starting with $1 or 1 million, you've got to know your, your foundations, your back end has to be built as beautifully as your front end. Otherwise your business won't last. So yes, you can just get on TikTok. Yes. You can just learn Facebook ads. Yes. You can just use the hashtags and go viral and start the podcast and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you can never skip this, the steps of building a business structure properly. And so I help people with that part. And then we just throw in the products after that. It's a simple recipe. I love that. Now, 
What's your advice for someone that may not know what their passion is or not know what their talents are? Because when I was going through and prepping for this, I'm like, I, I now I know what my talents are, but I asked myself at first and I was kind of blank for like 15 seconds. So I'm curious. Yeah, for sure. What I always tell people is, um, you know, life gives you clues, right? And you just have to listen okay. for those. Some of the sentences to listen for are, can I pick your brain? Or how'd you get that started? Or uh, someone saying to you, I've always wanted to do something like that. Or uh, man, we should chat like that. Or, oh, one of those days I got to come by and see how you do it. As soon as I say those sentences, without a doubt, people listening will always say like, oh, a person has said this to me here, right? right? Or if there's ever been a time where you have spent a considerable amount of effort teaching someone something, answering a question for them, working through a problem, and they didn't take your advice, meaning like, and, and we all know that feeling where it's like, I showed him all the things and then he didn't even do it, right? Or and. Mm. When, when, if you have anything that falls into any of those categories and those questions triggered anything, odds are whatever is on the other side of that is the thing that you should be monetizing. Because I think of people paying me as a commitment fee for themselves. They're, they're giving, they're putting down a fee. They're putting money on the table to be committed to the process. Cause I know I'll show up. I love what I do, you know, and I'm very good at it, you know? So it's the, it's the fact that they have to commit to showing up so that that way they'll actually get it done. Because frankly, I already have my business. I already have my money. I already have my, you know, platform. It's me helping lend all those talents to other people so that they can get their own. How do you help someone flip the switch to want to get paid for something like that? Right. Because I have, a, I mean, even myself, I have a ton of people yeah. that ask me for advice and I wouldn't charge them their close friends regardless, but I know there's people out there that are in a situation like that or experience something of that nature. And they wouldn't even think to put a price tag to it. So, I mean, fundamentally, I, I don't know what you mean by you wouldn't charge them their close friends. Like I, it's more important to me that my close friends find success because broke mm. is contagious and I can't have people around me who are not chasing after their own purpose that aren't interested in success. And the last thing I can do with my time is have people just sit around telling me about their ideas that they're never going to pursue. So I mm. absolutely charge. I don't do free. Like I'm literally allergic to it. The only people I do free <laughs> for is our churches, charity and children. And that is it. And I always try to remind you that even the church pays the so I can't understand why I wouldn't charge someone for something that I do as a skill. Now, a huge part of that leap is everything has a cost and that is a core business concept, right? Everything has a cost attached to it. So if I say I'm not going to charge my friend for three and a half hours of my time to help them get something sorted out that they may or may not pursue because it's free, then what am I, where am I taking those three and a half hours from? Because if I hear that someone can do free for a friend or a family or whatever else, all I'm hearing is that you have more time to invest in your own, own business and you're, you're just taking a loan from your future to give to somebody for free today. And I just don't understand why I would do that. I'm, I'm far, if that's the case, why wouldn't I just go work in my business and give it to my friend for free? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like down the line, just be like, here, I'll just cut you a check. Don't even bother building your dream. I'll just go ahead and do it myself. You know? So it's one of those things where I understand that it's like, oh, it's a friend. I want to help him out. And like one or two quick questions. Sure. You know, but I'm never, I'm never going to sit down with you for coffee for an hour and a half to help you build something out without there being some sort of commitment to putting something on my calendar a barter or some sort of exchange. And the difference for friends is friends always get just a little bit more. So where you may have committed to putting on the calendar for like an hour, I might give you two, three, you know, and like, obviously you can text me. You have access to me. That's different than everyone else. You know what I mean? Right, but like, right. No, it's not free. I still have to pay my team. I still have to pay. You're taking time for my kids. Mm. Like, like I'm supposed to look my kid in the face and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I have to go help my friend build their business and get rich and successful so they can take care of their kids. And you have to sit here and eat dinner by yourself. Like, 
No, you know what I mean? You're saying, absolutely. If you're saying yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. So absolutely. Now, do you, do you think that getting paid always has to come down to something that's monetary? No, you know, okay. I, I am one of those big believers in my name having weight. So my name is trademarked, right? There's no better Nicole Walters, right? So my name's trademarked. And that's because I know how valuable my name is. From the minute that I started in this business and I only had $24 in the bank account, I still said no to certain events if I felt like the other speaker's values weren't in alignment with my own. Because I always knew what my name would be worth and, and what it has is still yet to be worth. So I never want somebody from 10 years ago to be like, I worked with Nicole Walters on such and such project, you know, because I let my name to that carelessly, you know, 10 years down the line when Nicole Walters has even more weight to it than it does today. So I say that to let, to say that, yeah, you know, it's not always about money. If you understand that your true, you know, wealth, you know, your true value is in your knowledge, your name and the deeds that you do and your legacy. And that's where I put the real weight. So sure. I'll barter with someone, or I might lend my talents to their event, or I have a good friend right now who's getting ready to launch a wine brand. And I told them, you know, I was like, look, like if you need help paying for whatever, like I'll show up, you know what I mean? Like, and I'll, you know, put the word out or whatever. And I can host like a little meet and greet there. So, you know, but I'm only willing to do that for that friend, you know, versus cutting them a check, right. To support, they still have to build it all themselves, but I, right. and I would have gone to your event anyways, but what I'm willing to do is to lend my, you know, support to it in this way to help you make money, but you coordinate all of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's that, sure. bad, you know, like make sure that person learns how to do some of the work themselves. Otherwise you'll be carrying them forever. Absolutely. Now yeah. I know you've done podcasts in the past. I'm curious. What's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Oh my gosh. Oh, one of the questions that I, the biggest thing is, I wish I would say, what do you think is the biggest lie, you know, or the biggest mistruth that is popularized on the internet by like coaches, consultants, entrepreneurs, whatever. So like, what is the one thing you would correct that you think is common knowledge? You know what I mean? Like, and that I think is, I don't know why no one asked that of like everyone, you know what I mean? Cause everyone right. has an opinion on something they're seeing in the space. So, well, what do you think it is? <laughs> so for me, the biggest one is that the sort of, if you build it, they will come, you know, like where it's okay. like build, build the content first and then eventually monetize it again. That's just working for free on the off chance it'll help. You know, I do think you need to show up consistently every day on your platforms, but you also need to have a product to send people. So like I have, you know, clients that come to me that are New York times bestsellers or multi-million dollar yeah, or multi-million follower, you know, Instagrammers. And they come to me because they're like, Nicole, like I've heard about you and I need to make money. You know, like, mm. and that is my issue is that I've got all these followers and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, you know, I, I tell people today who only have a thousand, I have people who have a thousand followers that make six figures. And I, and I have people who run to me with a million followers that can't make six figures, you know? So it's, it's that sort of difference, you know, it's don't let all the flash and the marketing and the screenshots and the pretty closets and the laptop lifestyles fool you, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you only get paid for doing work. So that's the biggest thing that I wish people knew. What's your advice to not get caught up in that vanity? Because that's not easy. I mean, I definitely sure. have in the past too. Sure, I don't have a million sure. followers, but sure. you know, the shiny object syndrome is definitely a thing. So I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, the only number that really matters is the one that's in Bank of America, right? You know, like, so, <laughs> so I can appreciate, you know, having a ton of followers or having so many views or listens or hits or whatever else. If it's not translating into something where I can tangibly do some good with it, then I don't really know. I can't pay Amex with, you know, Instagram followers. I can't, you know, build a new bathroom at my favorite charity with, you know, podcast subscribers. So because of that, you know, I always look at these numbers and say they mean nothing if they don't translate into something that I can 
can actually do something. So it's okay to, you know, be obsessive about data. It's okay to look at it as numbers, but don't, don't uh, transcribe your worth to the, to the vanity metrics, you know, look at the data as in how does this translate into being able to actually create real and lasting change? Because that's what really matters. Right. Now I've heard you mention the words charity and volunteer yeah. numerous times. Sure. Why is that such an important thing in your life? Like, where does that come from for you? Well, for me, it's because I grew up with nothing, you know, and okay. there are very like I was always a hard worker, you know, but I mean, I slept on a couch till I was 12 with roaches crawling on me, you know, so like mm-hmm. I had nothing and I can honestly go back in my life, you know, this is some of what I'm talking about in my book, you know, and look at moments where it was literally just like a single action from a kind stranger that changed the trajectory of my life, you know, or a single lesson or a sentence or something that changed things. And I just know the power of somebody being willing to dedicate not just their time and their resources, but, you know, the actual physical presence, you know, in a volunteerism charity type way and giving them resources that they really deserve. So, I mean... I just know what that's like because I've been on the receiving end and it's changed everything for me and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. And that's not doing free, it's doing right. You know, it's like a different level of it, you know? And so my favorite uh, charity of choice is called City of Refuge and they're based in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the reasons why I lend myself to them is because they do 360 solutions. So they offer health, health and wellness, job training, housing, food and schooling, all of those things to everyone who comes in their doors. But they also need people on the ground. So being present is part of it, you know? And so that's why... I think that a lot of people lose sight because they get caught up in these vanity metrics and in like the next sneakers or the closet or the whatever. And all these material things are fleeting, you know, but when you're able to, you know, build a bathroom, you know, for, for people that every single day they use it, they realize that they're worth more. And they're able to like, cause that place is home to them now when they came out of an abusive situation, that's when you're doing something that actually lasts and matters that focus on that stuff. So that's why I do volunteer work so I can go see the stuff that matters because what's in my closet doesn't, you know what I mean? For sure. Now, how are you instilling, and this is just totally random. How are you instilling the coming from the quote unquote bottom and versus where you are now in your children today? Sure. So my kids don't get Jack. Like that's just literally how that works. They work for everything. So, I mean, like, obviously they live in a nice home. Obviously they have access to nice trips. Obviously, you know, whenever we do family things, you know, that's, we're doing that as a family and they have like nice Christmases and birthdays and yada, yada, but they're expected to work. We call ourselves team Walters, you know, so they have a team role. If they aren't able to keep up their grades, get stay out of trouble, be kind to others, do volunteer work, you know, show up in this world as a good global citizen, then they make it difficult for me to do my job. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, which is to go work and to do my thing. So for instance, like my 10 year old has been doing her own laundry since she was six, you know, like she has a routine. She comes home. She knows, you know, I have to go in, I have to take care of this. Like, is my laundry done? Um, She's raised with the concept that responsibilities come before the, you know, the fun, but there's always time for fun. And when we do it, we just, we lean in and go crazy because we took care of our responsibilities. So, and then also side hustle. So all of my kids have a side hustle, you know, one way or another, like my little one walks dogs and she's always trying to sell something like even to me, you know, like, and my middle one has a six figure hair care business. And she's also Dean's list and an accounting major in college. So, I mean, like, Like it's one of those things where all of my kids, they've seen it, you know, and I don't make them do anything, but they also understand that like, look, this is really what life is like. 
You're here when mom's paying the taxes. You're here when mom's cutting these checks. I take you with me to my meetings, to my onstage keynotes. They, they are with me when I'm explaining profit and loss statements. My, my 10 year old can tell you about taxes. She's like, I'm going to live at home until this time because I don't want to be responsible for this tax liability. She's 10 years old. You know, like, so <laughs> and I'm telling you, all of that comes from the fact that I just, I don't hide it from them. I immerse them in it. And then they're making educated choices on how they want to participate in this world to assure their comfort in the future, you know, because I'm not just going to leave them a ton of money. All my money's going to charity. So I love that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love that. Now yeah. I'm sure they get a ton of great advice from you. I'm, sh- I'm just sure. curious to learn what is a piece of advice that you personally didn't want to hear, but proved to be true over time. Do what you say you will do. So I used to think when I was a younger millennial, you know, I used to think that it just mattered how I arrived, right? Like okay. Look, like who cares, you know, about all the logistics and the specifics and the blah, blah, blah. Like, as long as I got there, I killed it. You know what I mean? Like, and I always felt like that was sufficient. You know what I mean? And I realize now that communication is everything everywhere in your marriage, in your relationships with your clients, with your business, everything, um, and even on social media. So if you're saying, hey, look, I will show up at this time to do this thing at this, like, just do that, you know, and do what you say you will do isn't just pressure to always be perfect. It's also an opportunity to communicate what you cannot do. So there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I, I can't do this. And that's where I think a lot of people get stuck is they feel like if I, if I take that standpoint of life that I'll do what I say I will do, that means I'm always going to be committed to things. No, it also means that you can say, look, I'm not doing that healthy boundary. That's never going to be a thing. It's just not a thing. And, and then sticking with that. And then once you do that, people really like you because they know where you stand. They know you're reliable and you will always get work and you will always get clients. So it was hard for me in the beginning to understand that that it was okay to say no. And, but that I also had to do my yes needed to be yes. And now I really do understand that. And it's changed everything with my business. I love that. Now, last question for you. If Nicole lives to whatever year she wants to live, puts out as many books, hops on as many stages and podcasts, so on and so forth. If you could only be remembered for one piece of advice though, what would it be? I guess I'm a God girl. So the biggest thing would be that I gave God the glory, you know, that like she didn't live a life that was about her, but she lived a life that was pleasing to him. You know, I love that. So that's, that's, that's what I hope people say. <laughs> that's powerful. I absolutely love that. Now, Nicole, thank you again for this opportunity. A lot of value to unpack here. This is like a listen to twice episode. I'm going to make sure that websites, socials, all of that good stuff is in the show notes. But do you have anything else on the horizon that we should make people aware of? Yeah, I um, tomorrow debut season seven of Entrepreneur Elevator Pitch, which is like a Shark Tank like show where I am one of the investors. So people get to watch me, you know, be funny, entertaining, buy some businesses, <laughs> business advice, all that good stuff. So they can tune in there. Um, and then my new book is coming out with Simon and Schuster in late 2022. So I'm very excited to uh, share that as well. And then they can also catch episodes of my TV show, She's the Boss, which is streaming on USA Network Online right now. Season one is there. So they can definitely feel free to watch and laugh. Love it. Nicole, thank you so much for this opportunity. You absolutely killed it. So seriously, thank you again. Oh, you're awesome. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, episode number 211 with our friend Nicole Walters. First and foremost, head over to the show notes of this episode. Don't do it if you're driving. Head over to the show notes of this episode, though. Make sure you check out Nicole on social, her website, Each and every episode, our guests have all of their socials and websites linked in 
the show notes. Head over to her Instagram, her Facebook, her Twitter, wherever. Let her know you heard her here on Decoding Success. Maybe even share your most memorable takeaway from this episode. I could tell you mine. I have more than one. Whether it's Nicole talking about being from an immigrant background, which is where her work ethic has really stemmed from, how she's instilling that within her children today. I thought that was so powerful. How she talked about life giving us clues and how we need to tune into that. We need to listen to that. Keep your ear to the streets. You really need that. And even beyond that, talking about being a good boss. But how about this? Let's remove the word boss and just say you need to be a good human to yourself. You need to be a good friend to yourself because you need to live with yourself the rest of your life. You need to take care of yourself first. It's so important. Nicole dropped a lot of hot fire. I really hope you took notes during this. If not, make sure you're going back, re-listening to this because there are a lot of noteworthy moments in this episode. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.